Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. I'm Josh Desch, pastor of community and discipleship at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and I am joined as always by my wife, the splendiferous Betsy. <laughs> Betsy. Thanks. That's that's, that's an adjective. You can look it up. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that was a you real are, word. And, and my love, you are splendid and magnificent. That's and very And I think kind. the word can also mean humorous. Really? Yes. Oh. So you are splendiferous. I thought that was a made up word like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah, so. it, does, it does sound like a made up word. Yeah. But we are so excited, folks, to have our first ever author interview on this podcast with a book that Betsy and I have fallen in love with. The name of the book is The Faithful Spy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the Plot to Kill Hitler. And it was written by John Hendricks, who is a noted author and illustrator. And before I go into more details about uh, John and who he is, and before we formally introduce John, who's on the line, uh, Betsy, I thought maybe you could just briefly share about how you first encountered this book. Uh, yeah, I would love to. I recently took our kids to the public library. That's one of our favorite things to do. But I'll tell you, over time, I've had a lot of issues with the public library in terms of fines. <laughs> yes. Um, when we lived in New Jersey, I used to rack up these crazy fines, and I usually didn't tell Josh because I didn't want him to know. But, you know, it would be, it wasn't like, oh, you know, 25 cents. This was like $50. Yeah, we did take out a HELOC to take care of that. <laughs> but um. Oh, man, I racked up some big ones. But anyway, hey, our kids are smarter, and supporting the public library is, um, no, um, you know, a worthy cause. So anyway, we were at the library here in Columbia not too long ago, and I was looking in the biography section because both of our our boys are 12 and 10 right now, and they both really like history. So I was uh, looking around to see if there was anything they would like. And um, I was drawn to a book with these really vivid illustrations on the cover. And much to my delight, I recognized the name of the author and the illustrator, um, John Hendricks. So, guys, this brought me back to Josh's seminary days. Mm -hmm. When Josh was earning his MDiv at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, that was between 2008 and 2011, mm -hmm. um, we attended Grace and Peace Fellowship. It was a wonderful church. Amazing with church. Just our two little boys at the time. Yep. And John was then and still is a ruling elder on the session there. And um, being the extremely talented artist that he is, I remember seeing the sketches he drew based on sermons that we heard at church. Yep. So I was just delighted to see his book, The Faithful Spy, jump off the shelf. And um, I grabbed it. Josh and I both read it. Um, our oldest son read it, and we just love it. Yeah. So I think I read it in a day because yes. I just started. I couldn't put it down. Yeah. And uh, John, let's go ahead and, and, and get your voice into the conversation here. John, we're delighted to have you here, and you are coming to us from St. Louis, right? Yes, that's great. Thanks so much for having me, and I'm so glad you uh, saw the book and, yes. and liked it for the art. Uh, and and then my name second, so I'm yes. glad that that's the correct order. I think. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. And let me, John. Let me go ahead and uh, let our audience know a little bit more about you before we get into the book. So, uh, John Hendricks is an author and illustrator of several critically acclaimed books, including Miracle Man, The Story of Jesus. Bets, we also own that book, mm -hmm. and we've read another, it a few times. Another really good one. Amazing book. Yep. 
um, incredible, incredibly interesting art mm-hmm. and uh, take on the life of Jesus. He is also a professor of art uh, at the Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Arts at Washington University in St. Louis, where, of course, he lives with his wife, Andrea, and their kids. And as we mentioned, he is serving in our denomination as an elder of the PCA. So, so many uh, really cool things uh, about you, John, and, and how we uh, became aware of you. And so we just want to start out by asking some some basic questions about the book. Yeah. So, John, when uh, how long did it take you to research and write and and all the illustrations are just guys? We're going to post some pictures yep. on our website and on our social media so you can experience <coughs> some of this. How long did all of this take you, John? Well, that's one of the first questions people ask, uh, and the whole process from beginning to end, like when I got the idea and proposed it to my publisher. And when it came out was about five years. So, um, yeah, it was a very long process. The actual, you know, the actual writing, I I thought I could do uh, foolishly. And I had a sabbatical. I thought I could do it in in three months. Um, The the reading that you have to do ahead of the writing took forever. Um, There's like a year, there's like a year of reading. And then what ended up being a year of writing and then uh, the artwork, of course, then after you finish all that, you have to draw the whole book. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's very labor intensive. And, you know, along those along that route, get very disillusioned. You know, you, you it's very hard to have an idea and like it long enough to finish a book, you know, like yes. you end up thinking it's dumb almost immediately after you're already committed to it. That's so funny. Um, yeah. So it's basically any book that gets published, I think, is, is a small miracle that, mm-hmm. that the author managed to stay interested in it yeah. long enough uh, to get it out. Mm. Wow. John, what do you think? I mean, as I said, Josh and I both read the book and loved it. I learned a ton from yep. it. What do you think is um, kind of the target age for this book, children-wise? Obviously, adults can enjoy it, but as far as younger readers go, what what do you think about that? Well, it's a middle grade book. It was designed um, for middle grade audiences, and that's a that's a term term of art inside the industry. And that's mm-hmm. you know between ten and thirteen. It's before you get to YA books, though it has won a couple YA awards. It's it's frankly a book that has crossed over a lot of yes. age groups. But it is written. We we tweak some of the language and the concept to make it appropriate for uh, ten or eleven. I mean, if you if you have a really precocious nine-year-old, I've, I've met some nine-year-olds who have read it, you know, and got through it and got most of it. Uh, but, you know, I'd say 10, 11 and up. Yep. It's also great for MDiv grads, right at the... <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, one thing that I really appreciated about the book is, you know, obviously this is horrific subject yep. matter that you're covering, but I think you handled it so tastefully yep. that you conveyed a lot of the emotion, but you just did it in a way that is appropriate for a child and mm-hmm. not disturbing. And um, I, I think you handled that really well. Yeah, it's always a trick because uh, I've written other historical books for children. Like I wrote a book about John Brown, who, you know, mm-hmm. was a, a Christian, but basically single-handedly tried to end slavery and was involved in a lot of killings that he felt was justified in the name of freedom. And it's very challenging to tell that story to young people because the, the last thing you want to do is is whitewash something that is horrific and right. turn it into yeah. something that's palatable. But you also don't want to, you know, expose minds to things that they're not ready for. So, yes. yeah, yeah, things like, 
you know, the, addressing the Holocaust, and it's interesting because the Holocaust is not a story that Dietrich understood in his lifetime, the scope of it. Mm. But you have to, you, you can't mention the, the Nazis with, without that, because then you, you don't want to not say it. So yeah. it, it's a, yeah. with any book like this, it's always a trick about what to include, but what not to include. And sure. uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's very difficult. Yeah, I can see how that would be. Well, um, an- another question, what led you to this project? Like, you know, of everything that you could have chosen, what led you to Bonhoeffer? Well, I had read his works in college, uh, his, his theological works. I mean, certainly not not everything and not the very hard ones. Uh, well, they're all a little <laughs> difficult, but, the, but not the super hard ones. Okay. Um, I read Cost of Discipleship yep. uh, and uh, Life Together, of course, which I would recommend to any any churchgoer. They're still uh, timeless classics. I mean, mm-hmm. we would still know Dietrich today for those works, even if he was never involved in this plot to kill Hitler. But mm-hmm. um, I knew of his story. And always wanted to tell it, but my, my medium was in picture books, classic, you know, 40-page picture book. And I just could not find a way into the story. There's, there's lots of picture book biographies of interesting characters. You know, like I mentioned, John Brown, and there's, there are models for that. But when you involve the Third Reich, there's just, you yeah. have to explain so much. It just yes. does not yeah. unfold. I mean, Patricia Polanco could do it in her books, you know, The Butterfly and she, she you know, that's a, but that's really long. I mean, honestly, it's it's uh it's over forty pages, and it's probably three thousand words, five thousand mm-hmm. words. So, mm-hmm. it, I never could sort it into the format. And I had a meeting with my agent. This was back in twenty thirteen, and we were talking about future projects. And I said, oh, maybe I'll do one about um, St. Francis of Assisi. I really like him. And she's like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> she was like, I was, I was throwing everything at the wall and everything. She was you know, lovingly saying, I, I don't know, you know, as, as agents do. And then finally, at the end of the conversation, I said, well, there is this story. And I'm in, in my mind imagining this falling flat because I'm proposing a book about a German theologian. I said, well, there's this German theologian. He's, he's Lutheran, um, but he tried to kill Hitler. And she's like, wait, 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 hold on. This this is it. I don't know where this is going, but this has got to be. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, Yep. And she was the one who encouraged me to do a longer format. She said, I just think you write like a middle grade novel. I'm like, I don't, I'm not a writer. She's like, yeah, you're a writer. Just write more. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I also want to remind our audience that we did a book review episode on uh, Life Together. Mm-hmm. And, and Bonhoeffer oh. has, has been a, a significant influence on me. John, I'm sure you have read Eric Metaxas's um authoritative biography on Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he really, truly is an outstanding theologian, thinker, and we're going to get into different parts of his life. But I, but I do just want to ask this question, and, and hopefully this will encourage the audience to really pick up the book. You, you do something really interesting with colors in the book. So the book is primarily uh, illustrated with two different colors or, or colored with two different colors, a, a sort of a turquoise color and then a red color. And can you explain a little bit of your thinking behind uh, utilizing those colors the way you did? Yeah, I, I wanted, because the story is so complicated and I'm, you know, illustrating for young people, I wanted as many ways as possible to help clarify what I was talking about. Hmm. So one of the ideas I came up early on was a limited color palette. One, because it, it's a little easier to handle such a dense form when you have fewer um, things in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. This is one of those artistic things where limitations are always in, in an art world. So the, the limitations of the color palette artistically worked. 
But then conceptually, I link the colors to the story. So Dietrich gets this kind of teal color and Hitler gets the bright red color. And then as their stories begin to overlap, the colors start to overlap. And, mm. you know, the, the teal and the red together, they, they vibrate a little bit and mm, they, they create a kind of dissonance um, that several reviewers very hilariously pointed out as, as a criticism. They said, well, it, when the red and the teal overlapped, it, it was very unsettling. Uh, visually and i'm like exactly i designed it yeah so it, it's meant to be you know not not hard to read but it's meant to be challenging visually mm. yeah, um, you're, you're not going to pick red and teal uh for your outfit when mm-hmm. you go out right. i mean they're they're yes. met, exactly right. well i yeah i just can't underscore enough for our listeners how um these images that you've created, John, they're just so striking. They convey so much emotion. I, I just, I cannot speak more highly of, of the book. We love it. Yeah, we do. We do. And we'd like to go into a bit of a deeper analysis now that we've set the stage. John, what can we learn from Bonhoeffer's life that helps us in the struggles that we face today? Well, I, I think it is very tempting to focus on his uh, actions, his decision to join a plot kill the head of state as proof that sort of his faith in, in action. Um, and, th- and that is very compelling. And I, I do think that's a profound example of someone who was stuck, uh, as he said, in sin. He was going to sin no matter what. He was going to sin by action or sin by mm. lack of action. Mm-hmm. And he chose reluctantly to sin by action. Mm. But I, I actually don't think that it, that is not the takeaway of the book. And, and I hate when people use Bonhoeffer as an example of someone who fought or, or fought back um, because he, his real lesson, I think, is to the church itself. And he, he was warning the, the church of capitulating to the desire for power and aligning itself with any, any government, any government because of convenience for some, uh, power for others, or a desire for Christian hegemony, basically like this is the way the Church dominates the world. You know, we, we align ourselves with power. And Dietrich was incredibly disturbed by that. And so to me, the, the, he understood that the Church was a prophetic force. It was a, a force that was supposed to speak into power and not on behalf of. Mm. Uh, and that's that, that to me is the real lesson that he offers us today and a reminder of the danger of when the church becomes a creature of the state, it, it no longer holds the role that it was intended to hold. Hmm. So, so do you see more of an ecclesiastical application than a, a justification for any particular set of actions? Would, would that be a way that you might phrase it or... Yeah, so he, he came up with his, it was it was an essay called The Church and the Jewish Question, and it mm-hmm. was kind of a roadmap for resistance yep. um, under Hitler. You know, it was to, there was kind of three main parts to it, and, it, and the final one, it was to, to fight back when necessary, to mm-hmm. not just, uh, not just bandage, he said, not just bandage the victims under the wheel, but to jam a spoke into the wheel itself. Yes. And, and I, I think that is, like, our... Our desire to have a great movie ending to this, we love the fighting back part, um, mm. which I think he felt was, it, it was a desperate act. 
And it, it was not him starting his own army to, because basically his, I think that his resistance was still based in um, being defeated. Like he was, he was a pacifist, and even to the end of his life, he he obeyed the call of Christ, but he did not succeed. Right? Like mm-hmm. success, success was not um, given to him in in the way that we would understand it. You yeah. know, he lost in, in yeah. his mind. Yeah. So he he allowed, you know, the cross of Christ to to fall on him in some ways. Mm. And you know, I, I just I it, people do this with John Brown too, and it. it it bothers me. I do a lot of stories where it talks about Christians in the name of faith, making these high moral choices against these these stakes that are very heightened. Mm. And I, I like the stories because it shows humans wrestling with what it means to, to follow the way of Christ. Mm. But it's very dangerous to take any one person's action at any time period and apply it today. You know, we, sure. we have to look at to it and learn and try to get inside of their minds and to understand what they were going through. But, you know, there's people that use John Brown as an excuse to bomb abortion clinics, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of tricky logic that happens when you extrapolate some of historical figures actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, John, it reminds me of that place uh, where the apostle Paul talks about, um, we're always defeated yet always abounding. We're struck down, but, but not destroyed. We're, you know, he, he it's, it's this completely countercultural way of living where you're uh-huh. you're embracing earthly defeat uh, because you know heavenly victory is yours, and uh-huh. and and Bonhoeffer that is one of the most striking things about his story is it doesn't it doesn't have a Hollywood ending. He is uh-huh. literally yeah. weeks away from his life being preserved. Yeah, uh, that uh-huh. that was so gutting to me. Um, I didn't realize I haven't done much reading on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so I didn't realize that he was executed so close to the fall of Nazi Germany. Um, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It was just within weeks, isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah, really just two weeks. He was um, at Flossenburg, uh, executed in April, and the camp was liberated in, in May. So oh. it, was, it, was very, it was very close. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, uh, to go back to uh, the, the plots to kill Hitler— I think a lot of attention was brought to those when the movie Valkyrie came out with Tom Cruise. I saw that movie. Mm-hmm. And, and just to go back to your, you know, Hitler was nearly killed uh, on a number of instances. I mean, I mean, the Valkyrie mm-hmm. plot is unbelievable that the briefcase was just moved a foot or so. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it does, um, again, it goes back to Bonhoeffer was a part of, of these, uh, I think what we'd say justified uh, attempts to, to destroy evil but in God's providence, they weren't successful. Um, mm-hmm. Now, God ultimately did bring an end to the, that evil regime, and, and mm-hmm. the world was delivered from it. But it wasn't, it wasn't delivered in uh, the sort of very neat Hollywood uh, way that, that we might have expected it to. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, the plots that were trying to assassinate him were, you know, they were kind of a mixed bag. They were very mixed motives, a lot of them. Um, you know, so there were some, Dietrich was part of the, a circle that they they needed him to be like the theological backbone of this endeavor because these men believed that their commitment to Germany was tied to a commitment to God, you know, that the duty to God and duty to their country were inseparable and, and to assassinate a head of state, even one that was corrupt and immoral and horrific was still a 
a breach of their honor and of mm. their commitment to it's it, it, it's hard, but it, it's actually well, it's less hard now. But tying the Lutheran Church to the German way of life and the German state, this was this was assumed. Um, mm-hmm. So they needed somebody like Dietrich to say, "God sees this, and God will forgive this murder." You know, they Dietrich did not see it as anything other than murder, but that murder that had to be done. Mm. So it was. You know, very difficult for these men. Uh, you know, and some generals, they were participating because, frankly, they saw that the war had turned, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they they wanted the Allies to not completely decimate Germany like they did in World War One. They wanted to show the world that they were taking their country back. You know, so there were there were lots of motivations for why these plots um, came about. And mm-hmm. yeah, there were there were three that should have worked. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy that that they didn't yeah. and. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you really get to go down a hard road of, you know, why, why does God allow evil? Mm-hmm. What's the plan? You know, uh, and these are things that Dietrich struggled with when you, when you read his book. Uh, that's one I always recommend to people, his letters and papers from prison. Um, yeah. These were things he never imagined would be collected. I'm sure he'd be horrified. Um, <laughs> but it's like reading someone's journal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These are very raw. Um, I just love him because he's he's full of doubts and he's full of hope and he's full of grief and 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 he he says things that you just think is this is he throwing it all away and mm. I, I think people make a little too much sometimes of some of his statements that he made in the prison letters because he was in despair uh, mm. <laughs> you know but they they really do show a man that was I think anchored to his faith uh, and was was comfortable. To, to doubt, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes makes me think of uh, for those of us who journal, and I'm off and on on journaling, but sometimes I do it. You, you think about what if the world saw your journal? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean because that's that that's the place where where you feel like you can be totally naked before the Lord and just and really pour your heart out, and and, and we see that with with Bonhoeffer. And I wanted to mention John, probably my favorite two pages of the book are page 90 and 91. And again, folks, you're going to have to get this book to see this. Mm-hmm. But that's the page where there's a picture of Bonhoeffer and he's he's holding a sign in each hand. And on in one sign, it says the word inaction and there is a bird perched on that sign. And the other is, is the word action and there's a skull mounted on that sign. And, and the way I read that was uh, his probability of survival would have been higher if he had chosen to not take action, if he had chosen to com- uh, to comply and to at least pay lip service to the Nazis. But of course, he chose. Um, it's so inspiring, folks. You know, he started an underground seminary, and and the thing that has always amazed me the most is after his connections in the UK secure him passage to the United States. After one month, he goes back to Germany. Mm-hmm. That that is just unbelievable. On page uh, 91, you have this quote from Bonhoeffer, who stands fast, only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all this when he is called to obedience and responsible action in faith. So um, I know we've already you know hit around these different themes, and uh, but just, just want to highlight Bonhoeffer and uh, his willingness to live out his faith. And, and John... 
uh, part, part of where I'm going here with this meandering question is this. It is true that sometimes in our Reformed tradition, um, we get very uh, stuck on our, on our uh, theology, which we're proud of, and that's good. I love our theology. But our theology must always be lived out, and we must always seek to apply that theology by the work of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, Bonhoeffer, it was costly to him, and I think that's what mm. love is always costly. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, when he was in prison in Tegel Prison in, in Berlin, this was before he was sent to the concentration camps, but he was there 18 months, and it was kind of an open secret that he could escape any time because the guards there, they liked him very much. Um, he was like the house pastor. Um, he worked in the, in the uh, emergency room with, as, almost as a nurse, and he was very beloved by the guards. And the guards were also, these were not SS men. These were the dregs of the Nazi empire uh, stuck watching prisoners. And they, they hated the, many of them hated the, the Nazi party as much as any of the prisoners. So Bonhoeffer could have escaped basically at any time. But, you know, the guards passed his letters around the censors uh, to his family. But this is, the, this is the point. He chose to stay. He mm-hmm. stayed in prison, mm. part, partially because he knew if he escaped, it, it would get around. Someone up the chain would find out, and the people who would get hurt were his family, who were known to the Nazis, his fiance, uh, his fellow brethren in the church. So he could have run again, even even in prison. And he thought, I just think my best chance is to stay in prison and, and to minister. Like, he, he felt he was called to this, pl- this horrible place. Like, this was where the Lord put me, and I'm going to be a pastor here. Mm. Um, and, and hope hope that he can, like, wait out the Nazi regime crumbling, because you could sense he listened to the BBC uh, on his wireless, and he was, you know, fluent in English. So he could understand that the, the war was not going well for Germany, and he, oh. just, he just hoped he could wait it out, you know? Hmm. John, one of one of the my favorite sections of the book. I'm I'm going to read a paragraph for our listeners. It's at the bottom of page 157, and it just talks about what what you've just been reflecting on. It says Dietrich Bonhoeffer had, through his life's writings and now his deeds, reframed the Christian life through a lens of action. He called for radical obedience that was not cheap but costly. Faith wasn't just about creating a set of comforting thoughts about God. It was living out an ethic that called for sacrifice. You didn't just pray for the tanks to stop rolling. You threw yourself in front of them. I I love that. I think it so clearly communicates and echoes Jesus calls to discipleship mm. in the gospels you know he he t- all over he's telling you how costly it is to yeah. follow me I, I think it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of just my faith is between me and Jesus or you know it affects maybe it makes me nicer to certain people but faith is really um that's the foundation of our life and we build everything f- up from that level and sometimes that means we have to make decisions that are difficult. And I love that, uh, you know, kind of a prick to think more. Is my life, is my faith just something that makes me feel good? Or mm-hmm. is it something that actually dictates the way that I live? Mm. I yeah. love that. I love that you uh, brought that point out so clearly. 
Yeah, I think any of us can go through the day and say, what what shape did faith change in my day today? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and there's many days where you're like, I don't know it did at all. I don't know if there's any different shape to my day if I do not believe the gospel is true. Mm-hmm. And if you if you think about that and say. Maybe there should have been. <laughs> Maybe there should That's have right. been a different yep. shape. And the metaphor I use there for Dietrich is is on purpose. He he did not um, oppose the, the the tanks with his own sort of surface to air missile. You know, he did not have a giant set of tanks of his own. But mm. it, it it was it was a metaphor of self sacrifice um, right. that was inadequate, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a that is a lesson that no one, no one likes. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, God does the work. Like it's, it's the reason why I use the David and Goliath metaphor. Mm-hmm. Like David did not come to Goliath with, you know, a giant catapult. You know, all he had was this tiny act of sacrifice that God, you know, magnified. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we just, I, I, I'm afraid that the church in our current moment in America believes that uh, we have to bludgeon the world harder. We have mm-hmm. to. Yep. We have to win the culture war. We have to fight for our rights. Yes. Um, otherwise, what will happen? What will happen if we if we acquiesce? If we turn the other cheek? What What will happen to the kingdom? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I think these are flawed flawed yeah. notions. And I, I see Bonhoeffer's name get brought up in in the conversation of we must fight. You know, we we must fight for. The, the things we believe in, just as Bonhoeffer did. But sure. I, I think it is it is misapplied sometimes. Sure. Hmm. John, one final question for you. We're, we're so grateful for your time today. Uh, but one final question. Do you see ways the church is perhaps selling out today or uh, is giving in to, to some of the things that, that uh, Bonhoeffer addressed in his life? And, and I recognize that's a broad question. Uh, the church is not a monolith. There are many different expressions of the church, and even the phrase the evangelical church is, is hard to pin down. But as, as you uh, can best try to answer that question, looking out on the church and maybe thinking of a, of a specific Christian person that believes the gospel, that has committed their life to Christ, that loves the Word of God, um, what temptations might that person face in our culture today? Wow, so many. Uh, I, I will say I live in America, so speaking as an American Christian, I think a temptation that American Christians have is to believe that the Church ends outside of America. And mm. this is one thing Bonhoeffer struggled with, too. He was a Christian, which to him was, was Lutheran. Um, mm. And then when he was very young, you know, in his 20s, still still learning, he, he took a trip to Rome and saw uh, and was, was moved by the, by the Catholic uh, faith. He was moved by the universality of of the church and of you know there was there isn't a sense of splintering factions, um, but we all we all endure one another in unity together. And I think um, he he came away with that and his time in America too of the sense of the church universal, um, which we sometimes think of. I don't know, in America, almost in a derogatory sense, or like ecumenical is a bad word because mm. it's watered-down theology or something. Mm. Yep. So I, I just wish Americans would place themselves as Christians as part of the global cause of Christ, mm. and that is and that is outside of our our political interests. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be, it was here before America, it's going to be here after America, and we need to align ourselves with... Um, 
a kind of greater country. Like mm-hmm. we, we belong to a different country, yeah, that's, you know, and I, I just get upset by the alignment of, of church and state. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what St. Augustine was his whole point in uh, the city of God. We are, we are mm-hmm. citizens of heaven. Ultimately, we are not citizens of this earth. John, uh, we just want to thank you for uh, your faithfulness to the Lord, for your contribution to His kingdom, for the amazing uh, artwork that and the gift you have in that department and how you're using it. And uh, would you like to um, let our audience know how they can find you online and through yeah. social media? I'm at uh, johnhendricks.com, and that's my website. And then on Twitter, I'm at hendricksart. That's Hendricks with an X. And then I'm at John Hendricks on Instagram. Great. Yeah, we'll, um, we will post, for our listeners, we'll post all these things on our show notes. And again, we're just going to put the plug in, guys. You got to go to Amazon and um, mm-hmm. get these books. Your children, your grandchildren, um, any other children in your lives will be so blessed. And also you. Um, like I said, Josh and I just love this. So You will learn a lot. Yes. It will enrich your understanding, however oh, well. I, so, I get so many notes from adults. That say like, hey, I I I read this book after my kids, and like, I had no idea how like Germany collapsed after World War One. Yes. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it gave people like a very good snapshot of like how how do you express in quick conversation what happened uh, to Germany? So yes, it's a good it's a good quick history lesson. It it really is. So John, thank you mm-hmm. for coming on today. Thank you for being our guest, and uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. Happy to do it. Thank you. So, guys, um, like I said, we're going to put links to all of that on our show notes. Find, come to our website. It's anyprez.com slash podcasts. We'll uh, put links to all these things so you can find them easily. Also, if you have any feedback for us, send us an email, intersect at anyprez.com. Also, guys, we've just recently started a Facebook group for our podcast. How can uh, we be found on Facebook? So, a person just needs to search Intersect Podcast. Ah. Okay. You could, of course, you could you could also search intersect church meets culture, but make sure you include the word podcast, intersect podcast, and our group should come right up. So please buy the book, mm-hmm. buy the book, everybody. <laughs> and we're on uh, we're also on Instagram, Instagram at intersect podcast. So thanks for joining us today, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>